right, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I am, per usual, joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren, how's it going? Really good. I'm excited about our other guest today, our other co-host. Yes, we have invited someone else onto the podcast today. You may know her voice from the Giro Rosa coverage last year, but it's really exciting that we've, we have her on today. She writes for Roulaire, Tete de la Course, Cycling Tips... Amy Jones, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really, we're all very excited. Excited all around. A nice fusion <laughs> of accents, American, Aussie, British. It's true. I'm just going to say it sounds nice to have, um, at least when I listen to podcasts, I like hearing different accents because um, I like, yeah, some of the GCN presenters, but it's just so British. And then you have Bernie Eisel bless his soul <laughs> we we have no fear there's no like worry that someone's gonna forget who's talking when any three yeah. of us are talking exactly. that's true yes we don't have to Excellent. like introduce ourselves before we speak it's brilliant <laughs> so we've got a ton to cover today the women's season has started we had omelet pet newsblad over the past weekend and then less men over um in the middle of the week Omni Pep Newsblad was awesome. Um, it was really aggressive, all of the 35 kilometers that we got to see on live coverage. SD Works basically dominated the whole race by setting the pace. And then when the terrain made it impossible for them to set a pace anymore, they sent Demi Vollering up the road. And when Demi Vollering got back, brought back, that's when Anna Vanderbregen went and won the race. I have an inter- inter- interesting discussion about Anna van der Bregen that I'm going to pitch to you guys and see how you react to it later. Very exciting. Okay, good. Because I, <laughs> we have to backpedal a little bit, Abby, because I think we were talking about how Anna's going to be, you know, it's her last year. She's very much a winner, but like maybe she'll ta- take a little bit of a backseat. We sort of debated that. And then we were like, no, she's a winner. So she's still going to want to go out there and, you know, have a crap. She proved us wrong. It's, she listened yeah. to our podcast and she was like, Mm-mm, they wrong. And before we like really dive into what happened at Omloop and the ensuing chaos of Twitter, let's hear <laughs> from the second place rider of the race, a very impressive ride by 21 year old Emma Cecily <laughs> Norsgaard. I called her up after the race, after Lissam in actually, while she was on her way home to see what she thought of the race. Are you on your way back from Lissamin at the moment? No, I was uh, traveling back yesterday and uh, and I've just been down shopping. I'm in Andorra right now and it, uh, yeah, my boyfriend, he's really slow at everything. So I didn't make it <laughs> home. <laughs> so you're not going to Strada now? No, no. I uh, I got the, the pleasure of watching it, watching it at the, at the television. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be, I feel like, a lot nicer watching it this year than it is racing it based on the weather. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I just told the other girls, I'm, I'm so happy I'm not doing this race. Good luck. <laughs> well, I just wanted to ask you really quick. Um, well, first, congratulations on both Omloop and Lissamin. Thank you so much. Thank you. I wanted to know how, how the race went down from inside the peloton. Oh, well, it was... Uh... <laughs> It was uh, quite a different uh, route than our, than last year, and uh, I I feel like the the pavés and the the hills they were way more compact this year. So I knew that it was going to be a really hard finish. Um, but I felt like we had we had it clear before the meeting. We were we were clear about the the strategy, and and I felt like I was ready and ready to go for Animic, and if not Animic, then Leia. Um, but uh, in the end, yeah, they were not there anymore, and I was like, "Well, now I'm I'm gonna take my chance." And uh, yeah, it was it was it was a really great race, and I mean, it was it was aggressive and it was hard, and it's for me that was perfect because then the the fastest girls they were they were no longer in in the in the small group, and and that's better for me because I'm probably not the fastest fastest uh, like Lorena Vibes and. Yeah, so it was a it was a really nice race, and it was fitting me perfectly. How is it with the new team? 
it's uh, it's nice. I'm uh, I'm learning Spanish still, but uh, <laughs> I think it's it's nice. It's a it's a really nice group of girls, and and I feel like already we we bond really well during the during the races, and even though they don't know me yet, they I feel like they they are still willing to to sacrifice themselves and for for having our results uh, on behalf of the team and i think it's it's really nice to be part of yeah how much confidence do these two results give you going into kind of the next the next couple races i think uh, really a lot <laughs> because it was i'm i'm still a bit overwhelmed with how this season started and it's a it's a bit of a shock for me that yeah, it started so well, and uh, I'm just I'm just so happy, and uh, I can't wait to to race again. I feel I feel like I'm yeah I'm brand new into the sport now. I feel like this is so cool, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's super nice, and I, I I'm so ready for for more races with the girls. Does the peloton feel like a little bit hectic, like it felt last year with the COVID and like? there being questions of races being canceled is there still a little bit of panic within the peloton yeah i feel like it's it's maybe a bit better than last year but still yeah the day before lesson we we got the message that functions this year was not starting because of of uh suspected corona and it's a bit scary still to know that yeah we've probably been around these girls the whole saturday and been you know sweating and spitting on each other so i mean it's it's not nice is it but uh, i mean i hope it's gonna be a normal season this year and that we can just that we can just race and yeah we are getting tested before the before the race also from the organization so i feel like it's uh, maybe a bit more safe this year uh, even um so that's that's really nice yeah so any like jitters within the peloton are just your standard beginning of the season on loop nervousness yes. <laughs> yeah i think so i mean it's always a bit crazy the first the first race but uh, yeah i feel like it was uh, it was nice and and mentally i was i was really ready and and i wanted to show the the new team that it was a a good thing they signed with me <laughs> Well, I think you proved that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah. hopefully catch up with you again in the future. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Omelette Pet Newsblad. There's really a lot to actually unpack about this between SD Works, Anna van der Bregen, uh, Lizzie Dagnan, and... El- uh, Anamique Van Vluten getting dropped or caught out. Caught which... out. Caught out. But still, still. weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did think that myself. That was the first thing. Like, I remember, you know, we've all raced. DS is saying, like, don't get caught sleeping. That's what my DS used to say. With every section, don't get complacent. Don't get comfortable. Because you really never know sometimes when a race is going to go. And it's always the typical sectors that you think, all right, this is where... I need to be but to completely miss that and have so many from SD works in in the move and then everyone else was quite underrepresented um is a bit of a f- up I mean SD works like basically just did a tech an absolute textbook way to control a race they sent all their riders to the front which meant that all of their riders were in the split when it happened and then when they couldn't control the pace anymore because the terrain was too rolling they they started attacking it was perfect there was really no uh, like it was really really impressive to see from SD works even given the fact that they've been so dominant for so long I mean last year they weren't and 2019, they weren't as dominant either. Like they've they've been challenged by the other teams, but this race was really like a oh okay, so yeah, they're here to play this season. And the interesting thing about Anamik for me is that I think for years we've been saying Anamik can win a race no matter what her team is. She when she went to Movistar, it was like ah. Uh, the team won't be as strong around her as she had on Mitchells and Scott, but she's still going to win because she's Anamik. And I. I'm wondering, Lauren, you may have a little more insight into this. If this is kind of an instance where if she'd been on 
Mitchelton Scott, they would have brought her back, but maybe on Movistar, we're going to see a little bit of cracks that she, she does need those riders around her. She's not all powerful. She can't just win it all on her own. Well, I mean, she spent so much time with Mitchelton Scott. And as we know, like SD works is a classic example when a team has spent a lot of time riding together it just clicks. There's almost, you don't even have to talk about it so much in the race. You just know what you need to do. You've got a really strong captain on the road. I don't know if Anamique is captain material as such. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe they didn't really have a captain in that moment to think, hey, half, more than half of the SD Week Works team is up the road. And this goes for every team actually represented in that moment. I mean, um, when a split like that happens, it just, it, it's game over if you don't react straight away. And that was a move, even if you had one rider present, you, you just didn't stand a chance. Cause like you said, once the terrain started getting really difficult, of course they were just going to fire riders up the road. So, you know, and I was thinking about it. I'm, I remember multiple occasions with Anamique where, you know, she's had a mechanical or, again, she's missed the split and then she's just bridged it on her own or tried to. So um, I was, yeah, really surprised by the outcome of that, the ending of that race. So I'm not sure, but I think we did talk about it. When people move teams, um, it takes a little bit of time to sort of, you know, get in the flow with the team, figure it out, how everyone works together. I think Lotta Kopecky, if we go to someone who's just switched teams, has done a fantastic job. She was just incredible in Hetney's blood. And then her sprint was, again, incredible in Lesamin. So um, she only had one other rider present with her in that move. But she did a hell of, of a lot of work and as a result was tied at the end um, and couldn't give, you know, the same sprinting um, capacity as, like, the other riders. So, um, yeah, I think... Liv actually were quite, they showed a really good strength in Omelette. Like they were pretty active at the front. They were pretty much one of the only teams willing to even try chasing um, the SD Works riders down. Um, like it's a shame that Lotta Kopecky had to do a lot of the work herself because it would have been really good to see how she could have gone if she'd been able to reserve energy for the finish. And it's interesting with Anamik because she like if she made that mistake like for someone with her experience like of course everyone makes mistakes but that's like a big mistake and if she didn't have the legs that's also interesting for the next races and mentally like it's inter it's going to be interesting to see how that if that's affected her mentally going into strada like she must internalize all this stuff of like animate can win anything she's indestructible or whatever like I don't know I think like it's it's interesting as to whether like she her saying like oh, I missed the split is actually what happened or whether she just was on a bad day which again like everyone can have a bad day like I think Lizzie Dagman actually just came out and said yeah I had a bad day I don't I'm not sure if she actually tried to say that she just was in the wrong place at the right the wrong time yeah she just said i i didn't have it today and she's actually not not racing strata either so taking a little bit of a little bit of time i believe she might be sick yeah yeah and i think it's worth considering as well the olympic games right uh that's a huge target for a lot of these riders and we are just at the start of the season it's great to come to the opening weekend guns are blazing if you're fighting for um, a position on the Olympic team or something, because I know most selections get made pretty early. Like at least for the Australians, it was always by May, maybe June, which is way too late to say who's on the team. Um, but yeah, those are all really valid points psychologically um, for her. Again, going back to that, being able to, you know, do an anamique and just bridge across in a really hard part of the race. Um, but again, when you're riding against the whole team of SD works who are obviously all on form at the moment. Um, but yeah, it will be a very interesting race tomorrow. I can say that. Yeah. It's going to be really, really exciting before we, before we get to Strata, we do have to cover one other thing about Omloop that has taken the Twitter by storm. 
So, <laughs> and we love these sort of. <laughs> Uh, so the prize money was an interesting point of contention after the race. Um, the, what was it? 5% of the men's, the, what the male winner got versus what the female winner got. Um, that was definitely, yes. People on Twitter were pissed. Uh, the race organizer was then pissed at people being pissed and people have even started a crowdfunding to try to give the women what they deserve. So, Amy, I know you have some thoughts on this. I'm really curious about about how you feel about this. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's it's just such a huge well, I've been thinking about this and like one I think one of the big problems with the way that this debate kicked off on Twitter was the fact that it was happening on Twitter. Like there's no nuance there. It's literally like unequal prize money bad like this is the situation yeah it's binary like it's this or it's that like I think you know the big the biggest problem with the unequal prize money is the optics of it it's like you're literally saying Annemiek's win was worth five percent of ballerinis uh, Annemiek sorry Anna's win um and whether or not you think that's like I don't think anyone's seriously saying that equalizing prize money for, between the men and women will solve all of women's cycling's problems. But it's just, it's a, the message that it sends, I think. It's like, you know, you're saying literally that they're not worth as much in real terms. And it, I think it was the, the visual, like, you know, the pie chart that was going around <laughs> like it's yeah. you know it's it's the way that it and of course like it it becomes then like an emotional thing like people see that and they think oh my god that is definitely wrong and I think there's a reason actually why you know if you actually sat people down in a room you were like okay what's the most pressing matter for women cycling like what is the thing that's going to drive it forward like if you had a, a real discussion I think everyone would come to the conclusion that it is obviously more exposure live coverage that sort of thing but I think that's the reason why, because there was a crowdfund for live coverage of Healthy Aging Tour as well. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a crowdfund for equal prize money. And the equal prize money one did the rounds way faster and got way more money put into it. And I think literally just because on the internet, people like to see laid out clearly in front of them what the issue is. It's like, this is unequal. What can we do? We can donate money to make it equal. Okay, let's do it. Like, yeah, I think also the thing, sorry, I'm really going on now, but <laughs> something that like, <laughs> what like really I didn't understand was people saying it was almost as if some people were presenting it as it's like an either or situation. Like you can have equal prize money or you can have live coverage, like, because these are the two main issues. But I don't think anyone ever said that. Like, I don't think there's any kind of stipulation anywhere that it's one or the other. And like, yeah, I've lost my train of thought now. Yeah, they go hand in hand though, because if we have live coverage, then of course more sponsors want to be involved. And then thus you would assume, we ha we're having this discussion before, where does the prize money come from? Um, you have more prize money, but it's like, yeah, all really valid points. Um, but just doing a crowdfunding thing for just one race to bump up the prize money isn't going to solve the issue, is it? Crowdfunding never does. It's a short-term fix. Yeah. Um, so, like, from that perspective, if we even just look at tennis, it was only in 2019 that the four Grand Slams actually made prize money equal. And then there was still the argument, yes, but the men play longer. So yeah. should it be equal? Okay, well, the men ride longer, but the racing is completely different. And my boyfriend and I sit and watch both races together. And, you know, he sits there and he goes, ah, here we go again. The break's about to go. Time to go and make, like, something to eat. But with the women's racing, it's, it's completely different. You can't compare them. It's a different sport in a sense. Um, but yeah, this, this is something that really, yeah, gets under my skin because it's the same conversation we've been having for how long. And yeah, like you said, I think the messaging 
is really important. And people love a good pie graph because it's the most simple graph that you can understand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when someone has nine tenths of the pie, or well, someone only has one tenth. I really liked the cartoon of them both sitting at the table with the cake, and Valerie oh, had like was- the entire <laughs> cake, and um, and Reagan had like a sliver of the cake. That was that was my favorite like pie graph. That was awesome. It is really interesting because what what frustrates me is the same thing that you're saying, Amy. That like it doesn't have to be the live coverage or the prize money. We, we all universally, we all want to watch the race, but I think that the reason people are getting behind the crowdfunding is because they, they feel like they can do something and they feel like they're putting their money where their mouth is and their money when they pay for a streaming service or when they pay crowdfunding to have a race shown live, they don't actually, that money doesn't go to the riders. It doesn't go to the athletes that they are watching perform these amazing feats of athletic achievement on TV that they want to see. And it is important to point out that Omloop Head Newsblad was live for the first time ever. And that the, the race organizer said that the decision to where to put the money was to have the live coverage. So they made that call and that they're hoping in the future that in 2023, they can have equal prize money for the two. But for me, and I hate to always bring it back to the UCI, but for me, the mm-hmm. problem remains the UCI in this situation because the reason that the race had to give that amount of money to the men and not split it equally, not pool all the prize money and split it equally for the men and women is because the men have a set minimum prize fee that they have to give in order for it to be a world tour race. The women don't have that, or if they do, it is an like pennies compared to the men's. And so when it comes to gathering the money for the race, which the CEO of Flanders said on Twitter that the money all comes from sponsorship, media rights, and hospitality. Hospitality, not really a hot industry at the moment. (laughs) So the money that they got this year, you know, it, (laughs) the UCI, the UCI, (laughs) if they would just, these like rules that they have that I'm sure when they put this rule into place that the, the world tour races had to have a set minimum like prize money for the men when they put this rule into place, like I'm sure that the guys weren't getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars and couldn't like, they would probably need that prize money. Like your rate, the fact that they were racing for money and to have cute girls kiss them on the face. I mean, those two things, like they go hand in hand. Right. And we're living in a different world. Now we're living in a different day and age where that rule should not apply anymore because they don't really need that prize money anymore. Like, sure. It's great. When they get the prize check in their banks dropped at the end of the year, it's awesome. They get to, you know, remodel their kitchens, but for, for the amount of money that they make, they don't need that. So this yeah. rule, yeah, for me, it's the the problem is always just comes back to the use. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. No, oh, but, yeah. but everything, no, everything you just said, Abby, it directly links as well to wages and salary because it's the UCI that sets the minimum wage. And then we had Trek Segafredo saying, we're not going to wait anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just do it ourselves and set the minimum wage to the same as the men, which all these big teams should be doing because it comes back to what you've both said. It's this as a female athlete or just a female, even watching these races or a young girl sitting at home going, my worth is not much as much as a man. It's not about the numbers. Like it is, but it's not, it's about the fact that we are looking at this and we're like, okay, so Anna Van Reagan and the race that the women put on is worth 5% of what the men did. It's like, it really just breaks down to that really simple pie chart. Going back as well to the UCI and like, do the men, like, would the men miss? So that one of the arguments that people kept saying, yeah, was like, you know, why can't the men's prize money be reduced and like to top up the women's? And like you say, it's a stipulation from the UCI, our friends, the UCI, um, saying, and it's the thing, like, where's the leadership from the UCI on this? There's like my question in like oh. so many things. It's like last week with Van Hansen, like all of these things, like where, 
Sorry, what? I'm oh, they're busy banning where, hugs. That's where exactly. they are. <laughs> they're banning things. That's what they're busy with at the moment. They're like, prize money? Oh, sorry, we can't hear you. We're over here banning hugs. Yes. The poor free hugs. hugs people. I was like, am I reading an Onion article? Is this for real? Hugs are banned? Sorry, so the the men's prize money thing, like one of the things that like people kept saying like it's an argument against the the GoFundMe for the women's prize money or or just generally for advocating for like equal prize money was oh but it only benefits like a small percentage of the women's peloton who are going to actually be able to win that prize money but by the same token so does the men's yeah like (laughs) why so yeah why does Julian Alaphilippe or whoever needs 16k yeah he's not going to miss that that's pocket money like you can't you can't that argument doesn't really work it's again, it's messaging. It's got nothing to do with essentially yeah. which team is winning it, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. And yeah. if there was like a full prize purse, then the money goes deeper. So actually mm. it would benefit some of the smaller teams because some yeah. of the smaller teams are getting in the top 20. And for those girls that are getting in the top 20 who are not yet on a UCI, on a world tour team, they would get, you know, a couple hundred, a couple hundred euros because the bigger the prize pot, the further down it goes. So right Mm -hmm. now, yes, right now their prize money is not affecting those small teams. It has, it will barely touch those small teams, but if they had the amount of money in the prize pot that the men have, then it would go deeper because that's how it works. It's not like it's, you know, it only goes top 10. It's the more money is there, they actually kind of push it out farther into the top 20. So if you get 20th, you still get like 200 euros or something like that. Yeah. And I feel uh, going back to people wanting to do something to help. And they think, oh, if I open my wallet, this this is going to help. But really like petitioning the UCI, it could be one of the biggest things that we do do collectively coming together because um, if we just look at the coverage, there are a hell of a lot of people watching women's cycling and, you know, here in Belgium, finally they're talking about the women's race on the radio and the guy talking about it actually knew what he was talking about. And he was saying, in fact, that we saw, um, you know, Anna Meek being so dominant, but now he feels like Anna is, is the one. I have an interesting thought on this, but first I would like to say that I think that the reason that this blew up so much on Twitter is, or actually looking at how much this blew up on the internet, I think it's a great sign because Mm. I think that it means that the coverage that we've been pushing for, even though it's not as much as we, as we want, like as viewers and fans of the sport, we always want more coverage. The fact that there was so many people up in arms about this just means that the women's Peloton is getting the recognition that it deserves as an actual sporting thing. Like we're actually, we're accumulating more fans. There are more people that are interested in what's going on in women's cycling. So although the topic of conversation is not super savory, the fact that there's so many people that are talking about it and the fact that the viewing figures for Omloop were huge it's it all is good news everything's good news it's just you know we we have every right to be pissed about the fact that there's still these blatant inequality things that we're seeing that we can't there's nothing that we can really do about it although that being said speaking of a crowdfunding i do have to shout out the velo club because holy crap i love the velo club i love the cycling tips velo club lauren and i have said many a time that the one question that we get is how can we help women cycling and we finally found the answer last year when we had a podcast with Iris slappendell that our answer from henceforward is to support the cyclist Alliance. And after the Patrick Van Gansen case, a ton of the Velo club members got together and did a crowdfunding to give money to the cyclist Alliance. And that is just, I like am almost speechless, just amazing. So thank you so much to our Velo club members for supporting the cyclist Alliance, because that is one of the things that we can do to help elevate the sport is by helping the cyclist Alliance who is fighting so hard for things like, you know, 
justice for the women who have been on teams that are run by men like Patrick Van Gansen and also helping women get better contracts so they're actually paid better and helping races be more organized and have have equal prize money they they're doing many many a thing so thank you to the Velo club that's awesome yeah that's brilliant i'll just plug here as well i i actually um for cycling tips did an interview with um the cyclist alliance this week including the ethics officer so that should be coming out soon um just talking about all the work they do um for women cycling so yeah sweet yeah we'll keep an eye on that my question about Anamik, going back to Anamik and Anna Vanderbregen, an interesting mm-hmm. thought that I had while I was watching Anna Vanderbregen just ride away from everyone at Omloop, although it did look like possibly she was going to get brought back, I was thinking like, man, there are multiple riders from almost every team in there. Can't they just line up at the front and like bring her back? Can't they just... We are really, really hard on Anamik for being so dominant, but we aren't hard on Anna Vanderbregen for being dominant. Why is that? Ooh, I have an answer, but I'm curious what you guys think. Oh, hmm. great question, because I wouldn't say that, like, for me, Anna Vanderbregen is, like, this quiet, unassuming person. That's how she comes across. She doesn't say much. She doesn't really broadcast too much, I think, on socials. Um, yeah, interesting. Maybe that. Maybe I, I don't know what it is. I actually have no answer, Amy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my like maybe it's got something to do with the fact that when Anna wins in that way, often she's also had. I was going to say maybe it's to do with the fact that it's because it's like more of a team. Whereas like Anna Meek just seems to like go on her own, um, and that's what where she, where all these kind of perceptions of her is this like you know one head and shoulders above everybody else comes from mm-hmm. whereas like Anna like there's still teamwork involved whenever she does that I don't know but then why is that got anything to do with yeah no that's that's what I think I think that the reason that we the reason that we are always so hard on Anna Meek because we don't we don't know her every time I've interviewed her she's been perfectly pleasant I know actually Anna Vanderbregen less than I know Anna Meek but we still kind of give her a hard time for being so dominant and we're like not as stoked when she wins a race as when Anna Vanderbregen wins a race it's pretty much always stoked like she crosses the line it's like sweet I love her (laughs) she's great like (laughs) but I think it's because when Anna Vanderbregen wins a race the race is always exciting before she wins like and the fact that she we don't know if she's gonna sacrifice herself for her teammates in that race or not like for the for like the first 15k of the live coverage of Omloop, I thought that she was riding for Amy. Mm. Like she was on the front setting the pace. And I was like, oh cool, this is one of the races where Vanderbregen's not gonna ride for herself. And and then she still won. So I think that the reason that we aren't as hard on on Anna Vanderbregen is because if she does go for a solo attack, it's usually within the last like 15, 10k. Like it's later in the race, so the race has already been exciting. Versus when Anamik is, is wins, she'll go from like forty k and just ride solo, and it's like okay, well the race is over. Oh, uh, and she looks beautiful on the bike. Yeah, she does. But you think that she's gonna get brought back? Like yeah, even, even in Omloop, it was like okay, well, like she totally can get brought back. And when she wins races solo, she doesn't like win by minutes. So it's like okay, like there's still a chance, and it's it's still exciting to watch. Where I think is when Anamik when she just kind of, when she won Strada last year, even then it was like, she came out of nowhere past the breakaway and won. And Mavi was still close, but it was, it was the second that she was like in the break. And it was like, wait, what she, it was a five minute gap. How did that happen? Which was a live coverage issue. Not really on Amik's fault, but as a viewer at home, you're like, what? No, that doesn't, it's a, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I thought this was this is just an interesting thing I was thinking while I was watching on uh, Anna Vanderbregen win. I was like, we're always excited to see Vanderbregen win, but when Anna Meek wins solo, if it was Anna Meek in this exact situation, we would be like, <sighs> again, going back to what you said with like Anna works for her teammates. I think that you never really see, or you never did see when she was on Michelton. Anamik really doing that and I think that's also another factor that maybe like makes her a bit more likable a bit more humble 
I think Anna van der Breggen has just always been really consistent in every way. Whereas when Animate got really skinny at one point, um, at least from my perspective, and this just might be me projecting, it was like, oh, yeah. And we're breaking down the barriers when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating and, and body image issues, I think, like women cycling and cycling in general. The conversation has at least started. So hopefully in the future that does change. You know, I just know young writers, I'm not going to name names, who look up to her. And a certain writer in particular that, you know, sort of went down the, the same track because if your idol looks like that and you don't like that, look like that and you're a young, impressionable writer, it's easy to, you know, go down that track. It's kind of the same um, as Mar Abbott too, like when Mar Abbott was racing. Yeah, and she can talk about it now, Mar. She's quite open about it. Um, but it was the same thing when she won the Giro in 2013. I distinctly remember being there. It was my first Giro and everyone saying, I hope she doesn't win. This is not a good image for women cycling. And at the time I was trying to process this and I was like, okay, she's a beautiful human being. Just like Anna Meek is really a cool human being. But again, so, and then it brings it back to, do, do people have certain perceptions of male writers because of these sort of issues? Probably it's interesting with like body image and like with eating like red s and that sort of thing like there's a whole conversation at the moment um nikki bramayer has been doing some really good work on instagram around it and one of the things that i often think about is like how would you even like control that like i mean this is probably like a whole other podcast worth of conversation but like is there should there be like a system where writers are like checked for health reasons and not raced or offered some sort of support in that situation because Lauren you're right it gives off completely the wrong image like yeah I mean speaking about um going back to to young writers I've known you know my best friend she went through it many moons ago and the Australian team sidelined her because they were concerned they're like no until you get to a healthy weight what and we'll talk about what healthy is, you're not being raced. I actually had, I chatted with Nikki and she's going to come on the podcast. So we could maybe do a full episode with her about it. Yes. She, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. I think um, with like, yeah, not racing. I don't think that's like the full, like that, sh that shouldn't be like the answer. Like obviously people need support. And I think we can once again, go back to our old friends, the UCI here. Maybe they need to take some leadership. Maybe oh, they do, no. you know? <laughs> UCI taking leadership, man, Amy, you're coming on here with your humor and I just don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a comedy podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, uh, yeah, the, the ban on hugging is something that I really think we needed. I, I've been waiting years for this moment. Like I would really like for the writers to just cross the finish line and, and just not like not show any emotion. I hate it when they show emotion. It's 100%. it really, how are you please. going to, how are you going to stop this? You know how it is at the end of a race. Like if your teammate wins, the first thing you do is you hear it over the radio and you're, you're so stoked. excited. You're so stoked. And like, I just want to get to the finish line and just give him a big old hug. But the thing is like, what is this going to achieve? Because you know, so far in terms of their COVID-19 protocols, they've been doing quite a good job. So if the writers are hugging each other, what, what difference is that than them sitting right next to each other in the camper van or, you know, sharing sunscreen? And yeah, in the UCI statement, they said that it has nothing to do with the actual spread of the virus. They just want to... Um, like set a good example on TV. Messaging, right. Yes, which Yeah. I'm like like prize money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, the example <laughs> you're trying to set the wrong examples here. Let me like just I saw a really awesome meme the other I love the cycling memes. They're so funny. But there was trying to explain a meme on a podcast is the dumbest thing ever, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> and it was like a meme of Homer Simpson and he's asleep in his bed. And there's like he's asleep in his bed and it's like oh, yeah, equality. <laughs> sleep in his bed. It's like sexual <laughs> abuse. And then it's like super tucking and he's wide awake. And I just think that's so <laughs> accurate. Like oh my God. We could just have a whole like 
an ongoing thing on this podcast is just our contempt for the UCI. I don't know if that's the right word, but. Well, I'm sorry, but I just, I think, yeah, okay, put a ban on hugging, but in the heat of the moment. Except that setting a good example, they're all riding, like, literally touching each other and spitting on each other and handing each other water bottles. Yeah. So, like, if you're watching a bike race and you're watching a guy, like, with a bunch of water bottles shoved down his jersey and, like, in his mouth and stuff, and then he's riding around handing them off his to his teammates. Yeah. I don't know. Wait, what, like... don't, don't say too much. They might be listening. <laughs> UCI does not listen can, to this podcast. You can, no, <laughs> you can no longer go back to the car for a feed. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, really. But maybe they just took it from football because they stopped it here. There was outrage in Belgium because the football players were hugging. And, of course, we were only allowed one personal contact. Hmm. So now I swear they still hug, though. So Well, I was just going to say it goes back to, like, you know, I understand. Like, I guess it's, you know, it's a noble cause that they're trying to, like, at least do something. Stop laughing. It's serious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a noble cause. I, I just want to like fighting for the cause, but also you can't have a sporting event on. It, it, you either have a sporting event on in COVID times and accept that like certain situations that are norm, the norm for normal people, are not going to be able to be observed, or you don't have a sporting event on. Like exactly. they're either the exception or they're not. Yes, exactly. We can now move into our, I think we've covered many a thing so far. We can move into a little bit of a Strada Bianchi preview because what's going to happen if Kasia Niwadoma finally wins this freaking race and the entire Peloton wants to give her a hug? Is there going to be a guy standing there with a whistle like, no touching, no touching, like, you know, in a school dance when you're in seventh grade (laughs) and the teacher's running around like trying to separate everybody so they're not too close? No, you're not going to be able to stop that. I'm sorry. Even the Swanee will be getting in there. Yeah. Everyone, the freaking UCI should get in there. If Cash and Iwadoma finally went Stradivianchi, like. Yeah, I want Lapotian, like, literally standing there, like, showering her, like, in (laughs) praise. Yeah. We are recording this today, the day before Stradivianchi. One of the best races on the women's calendar, on the calendar, one of the best races in the world. I was really hoping that it was going to be like an absolute mud fest because it was 70% chance of rain on Monday. But as of Friday, I think it's only 18% chance. So any dreams we had of an incredibly wild Stradivianchi are out the window. But yeah, Stradivianchi tomorrow. What do we think? Are we excited? Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to unfold like last year. That's for sure. No, it'll be a completely different rate. I mean, last year was brutally hot. We could go through and like pick our favorites to win, but it might just be unanimous. Does anyone have a favorite that's not Kasha? I mean, Aliza Longavargini would also be sweet. And she was riding really well at On Loop. She was. That's true. And Trek Trek needs to be sort of in there, but thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. the it was really funny. Um I drove Tom's and Taylor Wiles to the airport to go to Strata. And they were joking about how usually the women's team is super dominant and the men's team feel like they have to catch up, but now the men's team has won a handful of races already and the women's team is like, "Uh-oh." To be fair, the women have only had two races and the men have had like multiple stage races. But yeah, I think Aliza would be a good pick. She She's won it before. It's funny how for this race, when you pick like a list of favorites, because I did my preview of the race yesterday on, on Cycling Tips, that whenever I pick favorites for this race, it's always the same like five riders because if you look at the podium for the last for the last six years that the race has been going on, for the last five years, the race has been going on. It's like always the same riders on the podium. Yeah, well, it's a very specific race, right? You've got a lot of different elements um, in this race. And you, you have to actually be a good bike handler because if, probably why, Abby, is that it is one of those really special races. And the same goes for the men as well. It's like you can look at the field and go, there's probably five or six riders who can really win this and if a smaller group gets to the bottom of that final climb that iconic climb it's a really hard freaking climb um at the end of such a hard race that again there's only a select few of riders who can really get over that climb 
and then kick through those final corners. So, I mean, yeah, when Anamique, it was just a two-up and Marvi Garcia did an incredible job, but there was no way she was um, going to be able to go when Anamique went. But I don't know, maybe this year we'll see um, like a smaller group going to the finish again, which I always find really exciting because then it's like, you know, the sprint kind of starts at the bottom of that, that climb. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if Mavi Garcia last year, if that was a bit of like a fluke or like, no offense to her, like she's an incredible rider, but I think she was let go first of all, maybe because like people were, didn't think that she'd last the course. That long, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the fact that she stuck with Anamique was incredible. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I think the conditions probably favored her, like without being too reductive, like she's Spanish and it was really hot. You know, like that. That's a, that's no, a it's a fact, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to look at. Like, we can't really look at last year and and have it be any indication of what's yeah. going to happen this year because it was also after the lockdowns, and so there was like so many riders that either had a really good lockdown and spent the whole time on Zwift and came out of it like flying, or there were riders who were like, this sucks. I hate riding a trainer. I'm not going to do it. And, and did not come out of the, the COVID lockdowns as fit. Um, mm, and so we can't, it's, it's impossible to, I think, compare the two. And I think for, for this year in particular, because there's been so many races canceled and so many races postponed that we were supposed to have already, we really have no indication of who's riding well, except for apparently Vanderbregen <laughs> and SD Works, yeah, and Lada Capecchi, legend, but she's not racing Strata. <laughs> and Emma Norsgaard. Yeah, she's also not racing Strata, but, but really, honorable mention. Really, really good, yeah. But I uh, think like we don't know, we don't really know who's going to be going well yet because we haven't had you know the races in Spain, we haven't had as many races in Belgium. Australia. I'd like to give an honourable mention to the fact that Ashley Mormopasio last year, so obviously she had that awful crash the day before, she needed 60 stitches, um, obviously couldn't make the race and she'd had an incredible build up before that, like she was one of the riders who really like, probably the person who embraced like indoor training, swift racing and all of that the most. And then, um, yeah, she just had really bad luck on the road. And this is her first race with SD Works, which could go either way, I suppose. Like they're really dominant at the moment. And like, if she slots into that well, I think she could go quite well tomorrow. She so always goes well in this race. So yeah. Based on my conversation with her a month ago or so, I would say that she's going to be absolutely one to watch tomorrow. I think that with the guidance that she has had already from Vanderbregen on the team as like a former competitor turned teammate. Um, and with kind of that confidence of being on this team and not having the pressure that she's had on other teams to be like both the leader on the road and also the captain on the road, which are usually that they should be held by different people. If you're winning the race, you should not be dictating what the rest of the people are doing. You should just be focused on winning the race and then, you know, have someone else ordering people around for Ashley. She's had to be both on multiple teams and on, especially on Bigla, but like CCC, she was second to Voss only. And Voss, you know, I think more so takes the leadership role versus the captain role. And I think that Ashley, no offense to her because she's lovely, but I don't think that tactics have ever been her strong suit. Her strong suit is that she's really strong. And so the reason that I think she's going to do super well on SD works and hopefully tomorrow, because she is, we are fans of her on this podcast is that she's, she doesn't have to do that. She, all she has to do is pedal a bike now. Yeah. And that's well, what she's, she's good at achieved some incredible results, like you said, over the years, but I feel like, yeah, last year was just a, a weird year and she had bad luck with, with her injury and everything. Um, I think this is the best team that she could land on for the end of her career and she's not done yet. So um, good luck tomorrow, Ash. I'm really excited to see what she can do. But again, I think she will be one of those athletes who tell her to do something in the moment she's going to do it. If she doesn't have to think too much beforehand, then it's just going to be better for her emotionally. So 
she has she has the added benefit of like if Anna Vanderbregen is telling you to do something, you don't hesitate. You well, if she Anna it. is, I think, <laughs> tactically very apt, and if mm. she feels a moment and she says go, and Ash yeah. goes. I mean, again, I was looking at photos from 2015, and she was like, I think the strongest rider in that race, actually. Um, she was always attacking and on the front and everything, but again, didn't have the support from her teammates. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. very exciting tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. It's the women's world tour is starting. Hopefully we get to see a lot of racing in the future. Although you never really know these, these days, this day and age. Q U C I no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so before we wrap up, I actually wanted to slot in a little bit of an interview with Marta Cavalli, who writes for FDJ, Nouvelle, Aquitaine, Futuroscope. And she, I don't know if she would be particularly a favorite for this race. She can climb all right. She rode well at Omloop, but she is more of a sprinter. And I think that with the finish of Strada, it's, I would, I wouldn't be surprised to see her in the top 10, but I would be happily surprised to see her on the podium but strada is one of her favorite races because it is her home country of italy and i talked to her before christmas as part of the growing up series and wanted to slot it into this episode so here's marta cavalli how is team camp so far Yes, it was a training camp for me. I'm very, very emotion, emotional uh, because it's the first experience uh, in a, um, another team. I rode for 11 years in Valkars and this is my first uh, experience with the English. And uh, okay, uh, I'm here. Is it? Are you nervous at all, or is it mostly just excited for something? No, most uh, excited. Mm -hmm. I will be nervous uh, at the first race. <laughs> for now, I think to enjoy my new the company of my new teammate and the stuff. Cool, and all of the new new bike, new kit, all that. Uh, a lot of news for uh, the twenty twenty one season. Cool. Um, so you're from Italy. Where, yes. where in Italy did you grow up? Um, I live, uh, uh, too close to Cremona near Milano in a small town for Megara, uh, with 2000 people of uh, habitat, <laughs> not much, mm -hmm. with my, I live with my family. What are the, what's the terrain like is there mountains is it pretty flat or how how is it uh, literally flat no mountain no climbs nothing uh, during the winter uh, i have a bad weather with fog or rain and for the for this reason i live um, sometimes home for a better place uh, in which i can train uh, and make some efforts cool so where do you go when you need better weather uh, usually uh, or um, too close to garda lake or um, in the south uh, sicily or in sanremo in liguria in place um, in which uh, i could found uh, high degrees and sunny, sunny days. In a normal year, when it's not COVID, when you go home and you see your family, do you have the huge family dinners with the really long table where everybody's talking? Yeah, usually, yes. With the health um, situation, um, it won't be possible. And I'm a little bit sad, but for the health of all the family is better mm -hmm. to choose this way. Uh, my mom is a really good cooker. She works in an um, alimentar uh, and food uh, shop. And 
she prepared a lot of dishes my favorite and it's amazing really amazing what's your favorite thing that she makes uh, a lot of uh, favorite dishes but um, probably lasagna or pizza are my favorite nice cool <laughs> Um, how did you, how did you get into riding bikes? Was it something that was because of your family or because of the town that you grew up in? Mm, because my father, um, was a cyclist and now, um, she missed, missed a little bit, uh, the training. Mm -hmm because the, he, he is very busy for the, the work with the work and uh, but uh, the um, passion of the cycling arrived from my parents cool so do they really enjoy when when they could before um the the situation the health situation did they come watch you race ever not mm, sometimes uh when i was young every sunday my parents come mm -hmm. to see the race um but now that uh, the races are around the world uh, is more difficult <laughs> for uh, for they when i race uh, in italy uh they are at the side of the road uh, for uh, make some some noise <laughs> where is your favorite place to race uh, strade bianche is the best uh scenery for a race are you bummed that the giro is not world tour next year no, no uh, giro is uh will not be um, world tour but um, i think that um it will be a good race also yeah do you think that it will still be raced so still have the level of competition that it has now yeah the organization of the giro uh, showed um, a few problems um, because in the south of italy it's difficult to have a good organization mm -hmm for many reasons and i think that this um, this is the main uh, uh, thing for his recession yeah um for 2021 what yeah. are you most excited for probably for the classic the classics because um, during this winter I will have the occasion for workers um, specifically for prepare these events and I looking forward to see what I can I I can do with the, the right um, preparation and the team that supports. Uh, my effort. Yeah. And you have, I mean, Amelia is very experienced with, with, yeah. so you have her and Lauren Kitchen to kind of learn from. So that must be exciting. Yeah. yeah one of the reason, um, because I seen of this team is because uh, Stefan, this manager, uh, told me that Emilia experience uh, uh, will learn me a lot for improve and grow in these races in which uh, is not um, only important the strength of a rider but um, there are a lot of small details that you need to uh, focus and make uh, the attention and Emilia uh, will help me in this is there anything that, that you are working on now yeah i started uh, three weeks ago um, with um, long and slowly uh, ride and in the next month um, 
I will increase the intensity for make ready for be ready for um, the steep uh, climb of the <laughs> of the planet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for chatting with me. This was thank this you. Was perfect. And sorry for my bad behavior. No, you were uh, so good. For me, it's the first experience.